We're rapidly approaching the one-year anniversary of the Builder's Table podcast. And in honor of that, we're doing something a little different this time. Featuring some of the best sound bites from our past year of content, we hope you enjoy and thank you to all of our guests. When I got engaged in that masonry program uh, with an instructor that not only believed in the importance of teaching the, the value of the skill of that particular craft, uh, but in helping build us into to confident young folks that were uh, ready not just to tackle what was in that trade, but whatever may come into life. And uh, one of the most incredible tools he used to do that was Skills USA, a career and technical student organization that's been around since 1965. And my instructor got me involved in that as a freshman, and it, it truly changed my life. Uh, coming in as an underconfident individual that uh, was just trying to sit in the back of the class and get through and get the grades that I needed. He taught me that there was so much more and showed me that through Skills USA. And it was in Skills USA that that's where I really found my passion, Jennifer, for uh, helping students see what the opportunities truly are for them. Because I didn't know that for myself until I got involved in career and technical education and uh, a CTSO like Skills USA and FFA. And there's so many great organizations that can help do that for students. And uh, th that just set me on my passion for how can we help to share this message of if you have skill and if you're willing to learn a skill, the the opportunity that you have to move forward and build the future that you want for yourself is truly unlimited. We have a, a, a professor at Clemson University who literally introduces every one of his female students in the construction management program to our group of women. And um, he just rants and rants and rants about how the he can see the confidence in these women once they get involved with us women and that they don't feel like they're on an island by themselves. So um, it just gives them confidence and they feel like they can do it. And, and women in general don't need a lot of handholding, right? They just need to know that somebody's got their back. And so those women, once they get introduced to us, he said, it just gives them a spirit of being able to do whatever they need to do because they got people that they can ask questions that look like them and act like them. And so I think that's really key too, is being able in the workplace to be able to, to create an environment where those women can be together and at least every now and then. I think that's really important. I think that's a great thing for people to think about is our contractors, um, providing opportunities for, you know, groups, employees to get together, to talk, to have that time or to connect, whether it's outside, whether it's through social media or whatever it might be. Um, and even maybe looking in their surrounding areas for groups, if they don't have a group internally, how do they reach out to other groups like, you know, you know, women talk construction, NAWIC, any of the, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we work very closely with all of those women organizations. Women talk construction does. We're trying to make sure that we are all one, right. And we don't want to just focus on one small area. We want to help women all over the country. And that's why the podcast was so important to us. The, the type of money that you've been able to raise for your clients and help people, as you said, to make the world a better mm -hmm. place. What do you think the key to the success of Grants Plus has been? Mm. Well, I, I think it, it's really a few things. One, we work with amazing organizations and 
before any organization can win a grant, they have to have a plan. They have to have a vision. They have to have the kind of programming that is fulfilling community need. And so a big part of the way we've been able to be successful is we help organizations to activate that impact that they know they can have. And by seeking the right investment from funders, they're able to make that impact come alive. So one, we work with amazing organizations from community serving organizations to colleges and museums to construction education foundations and other organizations focused on construction. Um, and I think something else that's really key is that when we work with one of those organizations, they are not outsourcing their grants to us. This is a partnership where we bring the grants expertise and the grant writing and research muscle, but that organization, our client, is the expert in their own program, in their own plans, and putting that all together, we're able to help them translate that into the language that funders speak and then help them build the connections that are so key to getting in the door. Yeah, I love what you just said. You put a lot in there, but really what stood out was that activate their impact. Mm -hmm. I think that's really cool and something that maybe we as the construction industry have not thought about mm -hmm. activating our impact. And I think the other thing that is so wonderful with Grants Plus is like you said, it's a partnership. Mm -hmm. It's not, well, I'm going to go and hire these grant writers and they're just going to write these grants and try to get them for me that you actually spend the time to really become partners with the people absolutely. that you're helping and that you're working with. You know, that is, that is absolutely right. It, it's, um, and I would say even without Grants Plus, winning grants is never about a little grant writer sitting in a room clicking away at a keyboard. It is an organization-wide endeavor and commitment that stems from the leadership of the organization, making strategic choices about where they're going to focus and where that funding is needed and why, all the way down to the program staff or, or on the ground staff executing the work. And of course, yes, to the, to the staff who are responsible for building those relationships and writing grants. Um, one of our clients uh, in, in recent years has been the Arkansas Construction Education Foundation. And I think that gives a really good example of um, what it looks like to be partners. They came to us, uh, the staff at the Arkansas Construction Education Foundation, because they had a big opportunity to partner with organizations across the state to build an apprenticeship uh, and training facility and program. And they knew there was major federal funding available. And that's something that's happening right now. Um, in the wake of the pandemic, um, there is a lot of federal money, but uh, you have to be really smart and strategic to take advantage to access that funding. So they came to us with a desire to go after some of this federal funding, but they knew that while they had the expertise of the programs that they were going to implement, they didn't have the experience of putting together a complex, competitive federal grant application. And we were honest with them that we were going to need a lot from them in terms of details, in terms of access to their experts and their partners. But they stepped up to the table. We brought our team and expertise and together we put together a really stellar federal application. You know, I think that's so interesting because I, I'm, I'm going to say I had the same misconception. I thought, mm -hmm. well, there's just grant writers and they just go in a room and they just write grants <laughs> and, and that's what they do. Um, 
But I think that, you know, I know personally working with you all is you've really opened my eyes to how it mm. truly is a strategy. Um, mm. and, and I think the interesting thing right now, and especially for people listening to, is what can, you know, you gave this beautiful example of the Arkansas Education Foundation, but what are other things that, that Grants Plus can do for the construction industry or grants in general? Because I mm -hmm. think it's, it's almost like we need to demystify Mm -hmm. what grants can actually do for organizations. Mm -hmm. um, I, yes. And I think, um, you know, I would say we, we have the, the wonderful opportunity to work one-on-one -on -one with a lot of organizations, but we also consider ourselves to be a resource to the broader industry. And um, during the pandemic, for example, we recognized that a lot of organizations were unsure how should they be approaching funders in this time where there's a lot of urgent need, but their priorities are still important? And so Matt and I, Matt and I actually partnered uh, together to produce a lot of um, free educational webinars and other resources at that time, and they are still available and we're still producing um, good information and resources on our website. So one thing is I would encourage your listeners to check out our resources and um, uh, you know, grow your own knowledge of what it means to be a grant fundable organization, because it starts with a mindset change. And I think, um, uh, you know, Matt's going to be able to provide some really specific detail about what we're seeing as relates to grants for construction related organizations. But something that applies across the board is you have to go beyond thinking about your own funding needs as an organization. You do not actually win grants to fund your organization. You win grants because you have convinced a funder that you can bring their mission and vision alive and uh, make it come uh, to life on the ground. So winning grants starts with actually understanding what does that funder want to make happen? And then how do you demonstrate to that funder that you have the plan, the skills, the expertise to be selected to fulfill what they'd like to see. So Power Up was a representation of my passion for the industry and for women and just for the workforce period. And so I wanted to create a way that I would be able to connect the industry, education and the community and create that you know, connection, that collaboration that, and those relationships that would be meaningful, that would allow people to come together as one and explore. Because I wanted people, again, to be educated about who we were as an industry and then educate people about us. And, and we do that through engagement. So then people would have the opportunity to explore you know, who we were. So Power Up represented my passion for the industry. And that was gonna be my give back to the industry is to create a solution to what I thought was a challenge, and that was an untapped resource of people not being in the industry. So Power Up was, was a representation of my passion, but it was also my gift to the industry, but as a means to connect people, places, and things. And so Power Up does those things. And so when we bring educators, we bring parents together, we bring the industry together, now we have everybody under one roof. And so it had to be very meaningful. And it had to be meaningful, it had to be impactful, and it had to be something that would move people. 
give people an opportunity to experience something in a short period of time that will put enough on their minds, especially the parent and the child, to go home and continue to have conversations about this. Because this is what was, this is what was missing, is we didn't have that parent involvement piece. I've tried so many initiatives over the years prior to Power Up. They were all good, but there was something missing. And that was that was one of the missing links is not having that parental, you know, engagement part. So it was very important that the parent had to be a part of, you know, this bringing everybody together. And I think that's where we have gained a lot of um, momentum is by having that parent involved. Yeah, I think it's a, it was such a unique thought whenever you started this, this idea of reaching out to young women, but saying you got to bring your mom with you. You got to It's it's really a mother daughter thing. This is something that can help everyone. And I love the stories through the years where you literally have had mother daughter teams come into the industry. So can you tell us about one of those examples? Yes. So, you know, it's amazing to see it all come together. They'll come to the event, they explore it, they realize, well, this is a lot better than what I thought. I didn't think I could do this. I didn't think I could, you know, maintain my nails because the girl does this, she does that. I got to keep my hair done. And they realize that, hey, this is something that I can still be who I am. The industry does not identify me. You know, I'm the one that make the industry. So, you know, they came into it, they came into it as a team and you know, being able to travel together and having that support and having that mom figure there, having that daughter figure there, knowing that we're in this together and being able to travel the world together, make money together and continue to have that family connection, that family support, but then also benefiting all of the benefits of having a career in construction, but doing it as a team. It's no different than what I was seeing when I first was on, on a job site and I saw the the father, the son, the son-in-law, the neighbor. So it was the same concept. So, you know, I started seeing where mothers and daughters could do it together and they were willing to do it together because it was that support mechanism. And we all need support. The guys just don't voice it the way we do. But that's why they were there. That's why the fathers brought their sons because they felt like son needed me. So bring son with me and we do this together. No different than what I, I started to see now with mothers and daughters who go through this experience and they decide, hey, this is something we're gonna try together as a team. And it's just wonderful to see that those relationships even strengthen and see them blossom and be able to enjoy, you know, the many benefits of the travel, the pay, the, the training opportunities. They love the training opportunities. And so it's just so rewarding to see that. And it's, it's definitely a feel good. I mean, just to see the growth and the development um, that comes out of it. And the industry benefits from it. It's, it's, That's the thing. it's so funny that you say that because I literally was just talking to someone that that mentioned the idea that construction is a family industry. It is people get involved. They tell their family members, their family members get involved. And you have these companies that have entire families that are all working for them. And I don't think the general public realizes that there are families that work together at companies and stay and support each other and mentor each other. So this is such a beautiful story because it even takes it a step further to say, and women and their daughters can do this too. I heard a statistic that only about 24% of the students in the construction CTE cluster 
actually stay and go on to the industry. So we're we're missing them. How do we stop that? How were you able to help your students continue on and choose construction even after high school? I think different experiences. You know, so so many times we want to, I don't know what word I want to use, but we want to, you know, put kids in a in a box. You know, we need an electrician or we need this or we need welder. And they we as adults try and push them in those directions. And as adults, we've done a great job of doing a disservice to kids over the years by doing that. And so what you get is a kid that comes out of a program only experiencing one thing. Um, man, those opportunities got to be available. And I've had discussions with people at the state level and things like that, where they want to start these um, programs earlier, as far as kids determining what path they're going to be on. I'm like, I think we're making a mistake again. You know, we, we have to let these kids do different things. I mean, you can't take a kid and put them in a welding booth and that's all that they experience. And they think they're going to be a welder. They don't even know what that, what the rest of the world is. There's so many different ways to, you can take that skill of welding other than just being in a booth. And same thing with construction. I mean, look at all the different ways you can make a living in construction. Let's let these kids experience different paths and then let them let it fall where it may. I mean, that's what we do as adults. We come out of college or we change our majors three times and, you know, take different jobs till we find the job that isn't work anymore. It's what we love. We do the same thing. It's okay for us to do it, but not for kids. No, absolutely. That's a, that's a great point. And I'll ask you because you're talking about industry. You're talking about the students, um, as a contract, a previous contractor, as an instructor, how would, what would you advise high school teachers if they're listening right now in their construction, how did they reach out to in local industry? And if it's someone in industry right now, how did they contact their local high school teacher? Probably it, it depends on the teachers, you know, the, you, you're referring to like a construction teacher or somebody in the, yeah. So hopefully the construction teacher has some contacts, but um, you know, the best way is to contact the high school uh, as a, as an industry to contact the high school, tell them you want to get involved, uh, work with the instructor, work with the, the principal on, you know, being able to deliver whatever that is, field trips, you know, speeches, you know, let the kids understand what those businesses do. That's, that's probably one of the biggest things. And then things will start to fall together. I used to always ask the industry they would always say, what do you want, Chad? Like, what do you want for us to be a part of this? I said, just you, you know, um, if I need something, you'll know that, like, you'll find out that I need lumber or I need money for this. Or if I said, I need you, I need you to be in front of these kids and willing to be a part of their education. Um, Cause that's the disconnect that we have, I think, between industry and um, education. And in some of those examples, you see, you know, some schools have, you know, a great partnership with the hospital and they're doing some nursing things that are working out great or manufacturing. You see some of the manufacturing examples that they're trying to put together and wherever there's that partnership, there's successes to, you know, to congratulate people on. We need those partnerships. We need industry to be a part of education. So masonry, like what, what intrigued you about masonry and what 
has made you continue to have a passion for it? What intrigued me was that it was very hands-on, very creative. I just like the aspect that you can be creative in your own way and build your own project. And it's from you, like all your knowledge of how to do it and how to build it. And everything's just very unique. Nobody's going to build the same project the same way. And, you know, you just have like, it's like an art, really. It's just awesome. There's so many things you can do with it. So I, that's what got me into it. And also the fact that there weren't very many females doing it, it kind of, you know, I was like, yeah, this is a challenge. I'm going to show the boys up, you know, it'd be so cool if I beat all the boys and, you know, made them, made them cry. Not really, but, you know, (laughs) you know, just being competitive, I guess, and wanting to show that women could do it too, or even, you know, just getting into it and just having something that I thought was fun or cool as a hobby. You know, I didn't really think about it as a job at the time whenever I was in high school, but, you know, after I went through competitions and started talking to people in the industry, they were like, no, you can actually make a career out of this. So that's what, you know, sparked all of this and I'm still in it now. So. I love the fact that you talked about art and you talked about a challenge because I think these are some of the things people may not realize they have preconceived ideas about what construction is. And as you said, being a mason, it's it's an art form. What are mm-hmm. some of the cool things that you've got to build? I, well, one of the coolest things I got to build was at the World of Concrete. I built like a little brick throne. It was like a chair. Um which was really cool because it was just a fun little competition between me and this guy that I had actually um, known through Skills USA and the competitions. We actually competed against each other, so that was that was really neat. Just my national projects, they were awesome. Um, anything outside of that, just like doing repair jobs, I've done some repairs and things like that. Um, it's just. There's so many great things you can do with that. And I want to get into doing chimneys or, you know, outside fireplaces and patios and things like that, because that's really creative and that's really artistic and you can go in your own direction with all that. So I think that's really neat. So, you know, I'm always throwing spaghetti at the wall. I'm like, what is going to undo the 30 years of messaging that we've been telling kids and parents that the only pathway to success is college, 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 college. Not that I'm dissing college. College is great, you know, but NCCER has the best statistics on what actually is happening in the workforce regarding the ratio of who needs a degree to how many jobs are out there. You know, that statistic is so stunning to think that for every 10 jobs, you only Three people need a degree. So why are we telling 100% of people they have to do this? So I've been throwing spaghetti at the wall for years. And I'm actually now, because I'm starting to see like, yeah, we need to hit all the grade levels continuously and making it fun. And so, you know, before I was getting my tiny toolbox kits pre-made. And so now what I'm doing is I'm partnering with high schools and high schools are hiring me as a client. So now they're practicing communication, they're practicing their math and their cut sheets. The high schoolers are creating the kits for me. And then after kind of that portion is done, I take the high school kids with me and they help me teach the elementary school kids. Because 
this is kind of multifaceted. I want the little kids to look up to the big kids because they're not that far off and be like, oh, I could do that when I get there. I want the big kids to understand how hard it is to teach and the value of being a mentor, kind of reminding that. But then the other project I started was a webinar for parents. And so we actually can educate the parents directly because my hope is, yes, inspire second, third graders forever. But also, I'm going to inspire parents to consider changing their careers because in the bigger picture, it's going to be so much easier for me to convince them that second or third grader to go into the trades if mom and dad are already in it. And they come home and they see, oh, okay, now that's why we have a boat. It's because dad's a plumber and mom is a welder, you know? And so this is why we have fancy toys. And it just is a mindset shift. So that's, I don't know, that's where I'm going, Jen. <laughs> yeah, no, you know what, though? I really like it, but I, I, I want to touch on this point that you made about the way you're utilizing the high school students and how they're participating and what's so important about that, I think, is so many times I go to conferences and I may be talking to CTE instructors and they say, I have a really hard time building the enrollments in my class. So I think you just gave a really great tip. I know a lot of them are out there doing this, but I just want to focus on that a minute. So if you're out there and you are teaching a construction CTE class, and if you have your students give back by going down and helping these elementary, the local elementary school, the middle school, have them do projects, work with them, mentor them, and then they see that could be me in a few years. That is a way to build your enrollments for your high school CTE programs is you get these kids excited. Like you said, they get to mentor, they understand how hard that can be at times, but they also you know, that's something good for your heart, right? That's something really good for these young people to know that they're passing it, you know, down to the next generation, even under them. Yes. Well, and um, acts of selflessness, I think, are really valuable. People need to do volunteer work. They need to give back to the community. That is important. I also think for a good human. And so, again, having those high school students practice that. And even for the teachers listening, let's say taking on a project like this is a lot of work, but you could do something simple. Like there's books, Interstellar Cinderella is about a, a lady mechanic and there's the house that she built. You know, there are awesome books that you can take your high school students and have them read to the kids. They don't even have to build, you know, but just creating that connection of uh, the big kids teaching the little, little looking up. That is so critically important because years ago, we actually started to ruin the word mentor. You know, if a, if a child failed English or math class, it's like, oh, let's get you a mentor. Time to do that. Like with a, you know, and in reality, the, the reason I am where I'm at in life is because I've also surrounded myself with great mentors. I've been able to establish wonderful friendships and connections with people who, you know, can mentor me through things. They're, I don't know what college degree I would get to do what I do now. Thank you again, and join us for the next episode of The Builder's Table.